So we're going to uh, started last week and probably ended up uh, demonstrating some of our struggles as a church, but also illustrating really what is a universal truth, and that is wherever human beings gather together and wherever human beings travel together, there are often struggles, there's often conflict, there's often times and seasons where it seems to be, is it worth it? And in a sense, you know, until we come to terms with that, we'll never go anywhere because we'll always be disillusioned because we have this fantasy that everything will be perfect on earth as in heaven and it won't be. That's not depressing. It's just, um, if you look at all the history of all the people that God has used over, over generations and let's just stick to the biblical people, um, there are times where they want to give up. There are times where they can't see how it's going to work out. And some of them, as, as the Bible talks about in Hebrews, they die without ever seeing the full result of what they've done. And so God's faithfulness is hugely important. And uh, my prophetic word or the word th- that I got this morning, and, and I just, it was just funny because I was driving in and I was coming out of Coombs and uh, I saw this guy running along the, the, the side of the road and he was sweating, a grey t-shirt and on the back in orange was, was written finisher. And I drove on and I looked at him in the rear view mirror and he was, he was just running, you know. And I thought, I wonder if you realize that I'm going to talk about you in church and, you would, and that God has spoken through you. I bet you don't. I mean, you wouldn't have any clue. Which illustrates something that I'm talking about today, which is that you, very often what God is doing in you, through you, around you, you have no clue about. He has no clue that he's running along that side inspired me to, to think about God saying, finish well. Which is a cliche, I know. But I just love that word, finisher. Because if you watch the marathons and if you watch some of these historic events that happen and then you watch the YouTubes that go viral or the ones where the guy seven hours later he, he comes across the line and his or her coming across the line seven hours later is the inspiration. They're finished. And so Satan's greatest, greatest desire is to actually have us not finish. And so we want to sort of declare to ourselves and to others, I'm going to finish. And I'm going to finish well. Whether I see the fruit of everything doesn't matter. And so when we talk about you know, these, these people who are coming out of Egypt and they come into the promised land, everything about that whole scenario doesn't make sense to them. It's a cool story for us to look at, but for them it is discouragement, it is fear, it is nothing what they expected. And I guarantee you, many of us, we've prayed prayers and we say, Lord, change this and change this and set us free. And we end up in some kind of breakthrough and then we're still finding ourselves looking at the mirror at ourselves and it's not as wonderful as we thought. Because we were looking for change and for transformation in our circumstances so that we would feel better. And every time that is the source of our feeling better, we get disappointed. Because our circumstances and the weather and the country and everything else will not make us feel better for very long. They give us senses of relief, maybe momentary relief, but until we find a source, the wellspring of life and hope within ourselves, we will never know a peace beyond all understanding. And nobody else can do it. Nobody else can give it to us. That's why when things are difficult, 
we tend to start getting in. You can tell your spiritual temperature. Your t- spiritual temperature comes down the more you get horizontally irritated. It means the people around you. It means critical. It means blaming. It's holding everybody and everything responsible for your unhappiness. And while there might be lots of truth in all the faults that you see around you, Jesus says for a reason, take the plank out of your own eye before you take the speck out of somebody else's. Because he's ultimately saying how you turn up and how you show up and how you live is entirely rooted in your relationship with me, not your relationship with them. I have called you to be light in the world and salt in the world. You go to salty places where it's not salt, it's bitter or it's tasteless. You go to dark places so the light can shine. So everything about what God does is challenging and is irritating and is wonderful. And so when these guys were coming into the promised land that Moses had just died, we talked about this last week and I'm going to be very well behaved this week, um, Moses had died and God said to Joshua, okay, Moses is dead and you've had 30 days to grieve him and he's prepared you for this. Now, let's get ready to move. And what I want to do is take these things that God told the people of Joshua, uh, the people of Israel as they were going to take step into the promised land. I just want to consider, and nothing of this is really new, what he said to them and each week build on the kinds of things he said that would encourage them. So he had said to them, be, pre- be prepared to move. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them, to the Israelites. And he said to them, get ready to move. He gave them promises of protection. He gave them promises just that he would give them the land and he gave them promises of his presence. And I'm going to over the next weeks, uh, unpack those promises and, and, and those different areas. But the first thing, that we, and we'll probably repeat this every time, he sa- what did he say? He said three times, he said, be strong and very courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Do not be afraid. You see, preparing to move is a lifestyle. I mean, how do you prepare to move? How do you prepare to do what God wants you to do? The easiest way is to learn how to live our lives with a focus on Jesus, a relationship with Him in community because that's where God makes these things real. Have you ever discovered that, that you thought you were more loving until you met some people that irritated you? I mean, has the community ever caused you to think, oh, I'm not quite what I thought I was? So it's their fault, of course, because the normal beautiful you is being marred by their presence. That's right. And so God uses the people around us and the situations around us to highlight in us what he wants to work on. And while we're busy praying for them, God to change everybody else, he's saying, I'm trying to change you. And when I change you, you're going to be used by me to help change them. Oh shoot, that's much more challenging. So there's an element of having a sense of humor about yourself and a humility about yourself and go, start living from where you are right now, not hoping what it will be like when you're somewhere else. Which is the cliche bloom where you're planted. So how do you prepare to move? You actually live today in an open relationship with Jesus 
and you say, Lord, here I am. One of the things that we often do, and we, 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 we're raised this way, is we, we live from a place of self-centeredness. So most of our prayers are about, God, I want this, I want this, can you help me with this, can you help me with that? And it's very frustrating. And then occasionally something happens and we put the dots together and say, oh, God came through this time. And he kind of goes, well, what about the other times? You're asking the wrong question. So the question starts with, Jesus, thank you that you are my friend. Thank you that you are my Lord. Thank you that you have me in the palm of your hand. Thank you that I, you're entering into me, which is the promised land of me, that you can walk through me into the promised land, which is the rest of the world. So, Lord, I'm living from a consciousness like I'm a little pixel in a big picture, and I'm saying, Lord, here I am. How can you use me? All I have is yours. Have you ever prayed? All I have is yours? And then we say we're busy. And so you, you, get, you, you start with this place of, Lord, I just want to have my life spent in some way serving you. And then we're waiting for this great mission. So Jory can stand here today and he gives this wonderful testimony, and I'm not being sarcastic or cynical. And you, you see the wonderful mission and then you go, but there's 10 years of coming to this place, which is not romantic. Of course, the, because Jory is, has a personality that, you know, I mean, if somebody, I, thought, I was thinking when you were walking along the sea wall and somebody says, can I sit, I, I mean, I wouldn't have done it. I would have gone, have a nice day, I'm busy. <laughs> so I'm totally humbled by that, you know. <laughs> maybe on my best day, I would, maybe once, but I certainly, and that's a gift Jory has, a personable uh, spirit that is, is very hospitable and is very willing to engage we all have different gifts and God will use them and maximize them. But it's not always going to be convenient. And so there's an element of do you even start the day or do you even look, approach your life of here I am, Lord, use me. But the thing is, take our, we've got to take our hands off the steering wheel of what that looks like. Because the way God wants to use you might not look at all like what you think. Why? Because... I only want to. I only. I've got this thing on. It's irritating. Um, I only want to be used by God where I look good, and where my so-called areas of strength are. Anybody like that? I only want God to use me where I am strong. Well, he sent those twelve disciples out. Remember, I mean, life hadn't been going on very long with Jesus and the disciples when he said, "I'm going to send you out." And do you think he, sa he said, go and heal the sick and declare the kingdom of God? I guarantee you didn't sit around with 72 and tell them one, two, three, four, what to do. He said, go and heal the sick. What does that mean, heal the sick? What does that mean, speak healing over the sick? Now, he's actually commissioned every single person here to do the same thing. And so he goes, so what do we do? We go, well, I don't know how to heal. And I don't write the words to say. And Jesus says, do you think they're magic words? Do you think you have to be good enough? Do you realize if somebody is thirsty and I have a rusty bucket and t a tin and I give them the water, they'll drink it? Because they're thirsty. They're focusing on the water, not the container. So Jesus' command is go and do it. And we all are under that command right now. Go and do it. And so when we pray, we're all insecure and we go, Oh, Father, if it is your will and... You know, 
if, if it's your, these people are really nice, Lord, they deserve your kindness, Lord. And, and we, we, we stutter and splutter in our insecurity. And he says, I did not ask you to do that. But Lord, I'm praying, no, you're not healing the sick. You're praying for me to somehow have mercy and heal the sick. How do you pray for healing the sick? I'm just using this as an illustration because I'm sure the disciples had to deal with the same stuff. He said, just go and speak to the sickness and command it to go in the name of Jesus. So I don't have to say, Lord, what is your will? We're praying whether this person you want to be healed. I said, I want everybody healed. Go and pray for it. Speak to. So we go into this, oh, I don't know how to do that. I'm not very good at it and I'm shy. And you go, so why don't you talk to yourself and say, God's spirit lives in me because Jesus is alive in me. Jesus is invisible, so nobody can see him, but they can see me. And they can't hear him, but they can, can hear me. So when I walk into the room, the kingdom of heaven is present because Jesus is in me and therefore he is present in this room. And at this moment, I have shutters down and God can say, will you open the shutters and let the light shine or will you keep them closed? And you say, Lord, use me. And so maybe he gives you a conversation or maybe there's something that comes up and you have a choice at that point. Can I actually step through? But the thing that's struggling, and we all struggle with this, so there's no accusation. I'm just trying to make this real simple so nobody walks out of here saying, well, he wasn't talking to me because I can't do that. You see, it's not about you. It's about him. So guess what the big problem is? that to be ready to move with God starts in a place of weakness and fear. Which just puts us in a pickle because we've used that as an excuse. And God uses it as a qualification. If you're afraid and feeling weak, it's your lucky day. Because I'm not. And I who live in you is greater than he who lives in the world. So how will you know that I who am in you can overcome the world if you never let me out? How will you know if you lay hands on the sick and you speak healing that I won't use you to heal them? Well, I don't feel anything. Well, neither does the extension cord that's carrying power. It just lies there. So I just want to encourage you to believe more than you actually do maybe right now. You have a contribution to make into this church for instance. God is far greater than one person coming or going. So you don't need somebody else to come in and lead you in a sense of to feed you some more. Most of you need to just stand up and start doing stuff. Now we always need leadership. We always need encouragement and teachers. But what I'm saying is there's lots and lots of power and presence in this room right now. So when we're talking about helping at Sunday school and all that stuff, everybody can do that. It becomes, am I ready to move? Am I willing to be moved? Because our thing is, well, I'm busy or I don't feel like it or I'm not really good with children. And in a sense, there's a point where God starts saying, will you stop telling me what you're not and I'm just telling you I have a need right here, would you fill it? So, well, that's not really my focus. He said, I know it's not your focus, but if you actually make yourself available for this, I'm going to release what you really want over here because I'm going to build something in you that's going to equip you for that. 
Oh, I didn't see that. No, I'm very creative. I can actually link things the way you can't. But the trouble is, you spend too much time trying to work me out. You think I'm joking? Not today. What happens? Well, let me, let, let's, give, let's give a few. We talked about this before, but you remember when Jesus was born? God appears, an angel appears to Joseph. No, an angel appears to Mary. We've talked about this many times. Just quickly. Mary is young. She's, getting, she's engaged to Joseph. She's going to get married. How many of us would hear a prophetic word or hear an angelic visitation saying, Mary, you're going to be pregnant. You're not married yet. Um, this is going to disrupt all your plans. And uh, you're going to be the mother of the Son of God. And Mary goes to Joseph. Joseph, uh, I saw an angel. I'm pregnant. And he goes, oh my word. What have I got engaged to? She's a nut. Get into the human side of that story and then start talking about God being a God who's considerate, only works when I'm ready for him, um, and when inconvenient, and he always underst- I always understand what he's doing. His timing is impeccable. It never disturbs, never disrupts, never confuses, never stretches, never causes fear to rise up in me. All of those things were for Mary and Joseph. Joseph was embarrassed. It says that he was going to go and divorce her quietly. Then a God meets Joseph because he won't just leave you stranded. And he speaks to Joseph and says, Hey, Joe, this is really me. I know it's mind-blowing, but I'll be with you. So Joseph supports Mary and Jesus is born. Now, the angel does not either tell, and he never tells the people he talks to, which is really irritating too, is he never gives them this blueprint. He just gives them enough. How many of us, we want this blueprint? And you go, I'll be with you today and then I'll give you some tomorrow. So so I I was reading something that reminded me of it where um, I think a a father and child, they were talking about Corrie ten Boom. No, it was Corrie ten Boom, actually. She was the one who was in the concentration camp. And um, anyway, I'm not going to get sidetracked. But she was talking to her father earlier on in her life and as a little girl and she said to her father she had heard about Christians being martyred and she said I wonder if I don't think I'd ever have enough courage to be martyred for Jesus or suffer for him and her father very wisely said so Corrie when you're going to go on a train journey when do I give you the money do I give it to you three weeks early no dad you give it to me just as I'm about to get on the train. And so he said, God your Father will give you what you need just in time. You see, God's saying, our relationship with him is the thing that will actually deliver. So when he sent the, the 72 out, he said to them, don't take sandals, don't take this, don't take that. You go, why not? He said, because I'm in you, I'm with you. My presence will be for you what you need. It's all very counterintuitive to us because it doesn't naturally sit with us. That is why supernatural is something that we have to grow into because it's not like natural. And everything in us fights against us until we start recognizing the pattern. So then you start saying, I'm ready to move, but I don't know where I'm going and I don't know what it looks like. 
I just have the sense I need to move. And every single person here is in a state of either you're willing to move or you're settling down or you've hunkered down and saying, God, well, we've just made all these plans. So now uh, we're going to serve Jesus here. And you might well serve Jesus here. I'm not for one moment saying this looks like you all have to leave houses up behind. It's an attitude of spirit. It's the attitude of spirit that if I'm sensitive to God, I start sensing what he's doing. So Jory walking along the seawall and somebody says yes because his spirit is open, he's responsive. If my spirit is closed, have a nice day. And I never know what might have happened. It's humbling for all of us and we have moments where it's really great and other moments where it's not. But what happens if we live from a place of openness and preparation and saying, God can use me. Lord, I want you to use me. Here I am. And you might never know what, how you're being used. Do the mundane things. Do the humble things. Offer to wash dishes. You never know. You never know what links up and suddenly becomes something more than you knew. You don't know who's looking. Like the guy running along the road this morning. Put on a t-shirt he's worn a thousand times before. Finish it. Inspiring. Why is God proud of you? Because you're finishing. Well, it didn't do much. You stayed on the road. And you have no idea who's watched you. And you have no idea who's touched, been touched by you. And when you offer to take someone for a ride or you offer to buy them a meal or you offer to just talk to them for five minutes or say, let's meet for coffee, you have no idea. You see, the things that are magnificent are built on the things that are quiet. And sometimes we're waiting for the magnificent, but when the magnificent comes, we're not prepared because we haven't done any of the small things, so we don't know how to do the big thing. It's too late then. So God comes to Zechariah and he comes to uh, Anna. You know, they're, they're, they're older people and they're praying in the temple. They've been there all their lives, faithfully praying, faithfully working, doing mundane, mundane spiritual rituals, really. But their hearts were open and they were there and they loved to pray and they loved to be there. And then one day this couple walks in and they hand them the baby. And because they've done all that investing before, and Anna particularly has been going, I got widowed when I, after eight years of marriage or something. I, it's been my whole life saying, I wish I was married, maybe. But Lord, here I am. And she gets to speak over the Son of God. And Zechariah, I always get these names mixed up. Have I got the, Zechariah and Elizabeth? Well, no, I'm talking about Zechariah and Elizabeth, you know, getting uh, John the Baptist for Elizabeth's barren. And uh, how can this be? And I think many, many circumstances in our lives, we just go, how can this be? I can't work it out, so it can't be possible. And I would guarantee that there are things that we have closed in our lives and in the in, 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 in areas of our lives where we go, how can this be possible? I don't get it, so we say it's not possible. And God's saying, I thought you believed in me being the creator of the universe. I thought you believed in me raising Jesus from the dead. You talk about Lazarus coming out of the tomb and you say, I can't do something? Oh, you have a little faith. You see, if you talk yourself like this, you begin to go, I have an extraordinary hope in me. I have an extraordinary expectation in me that God can do more than I can imagine. 
And he does more than I can imagine right out of the place where I can't imagine anything. So the only source of that is Jesus. Because my circumstances don't help me and my own being doesn't help me because all of that is unbelief. Because I look at me and I go, it can't be possible. I look at the circumstances, it can't be possible. So I say, what is possible? And he, he says, I am possible. And so with Zechariah, because Zechariah said, I mean, they all said, how can this be? Zechariah said, how can this be? And because he started arguing with the angels, he said, you're not going to speak for nine months. To which his wife Elizabeth said, that's a miracle enough. I don't need a baby. <laughs> but you get a baby as a plus, an extra. And then John the Baptist is born and he prepares the way for Jesus and he grows up as a man who, after God, he serves the Lord, he spends two or three years in ministry and then his head's cut off. In God's economy, he says, I just want to rescue him from the rest of the suffering and he's coming back to be with me now. To us it thinks, wow, that life was cut short. His perspective is totally different. When Jesus called... um, his disciples, he comes up to the shore of Galilee and they're fishing and they're working for their dad, James and John and others, and he says, come and follow me. He doesn't sit down and work out and negotiate a deal with the father. He says, come and follow me. You have a choice to make. Either you stay in this boat or you follow me. Where are you going? What are we going to do? I'm going to make you fishers of men. What does that look like? How's that going to happen? Take too long to explain. Let's go. And they trip and fall all the way to the cross. But you know what? He wins in them. He wins in them. And the reason they say yes right at the beginning is this is no. This is this man speaks in a tone and a way, and he looks at us in a tone and a way that nobody else has ever done. Something has captured me, but I don't even know why. I don't even know why I'm following him, but I can't not follow him. And God's saying to them as they go into the promised land, He says, "Get ready to move because I'm moving." He says to the people and the disciples, if you, "If you see this consistently throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament, guess what? God doesn't sit down a lot." He says, follow me. He says to those who are going out to the other, the, the other towns, he says, go into the towns. If they receive what you have, let your peace sit on them. If they don't, take your peace back. And uh, Bill read it in a very aggressive way. You know, get out of here, go away. You know, I, better for Sodom and Gomorrah and all that stuff. But God was on the move. So he said, if people don't want it, then move on. One of the things we do often in churches and often in leadership is you spend so much time fixating on the people who cause problems. Instead of saying, I'll give you this amount of time and then we're moving. You can either follow or you can stay behind or go somewhere else. Well, that's not very Canadian. No, but it's the gospel. There's a point where you have a choice. Not everything's going to be perfect. But God will use everything if you want to be used. So he sends his disciples out and he always says at every time, he says, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous because when you go out, you're weak and you're confused and you're unbelieving. What does the kingdom of God look like? You don't need to be a rocket scientist. The kingdom of God looks like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, power. So just said, let those things flow in you and flow through you. Well, Lord, what's your will for, for Jericho Road? What's, what's, what's going to happen when John's gone? Well, we're going to bring a sigh of relief and we're going to actually get able to get on with the stuff we're meant to be getting on with. And so you go, well, what's that going to look like? And he says, well, it's written out on the foyer. What does that mean? Well, we, we've got to start again. He says, no, you've got a constitution. Live it. 
And then what else? Well, you've got three things that are meant to be the vision statements of this church. It doesn't really change. It doesn't matter who's leading it. And what are those? Be family. What does that mean? Just be nice to one another. Stop gouging each other's eyes out and be nice to one another. What happens if we have differences? Work it out. How do we work it out? You sit down and you talk to one another, not talk to others about one another. It's real simple. And I told you last week, and I will not go there again, but I'm up to this with that. Aren't you? Becoming family, which is what families do. They fight and then they slam the door and they go out and they come back again. That's fine. It's part of what our growth is about. But be family. Hang together. Support each other. Be gracious to one another. Show uncharacteristic acts of kindness. Sensitivity. You never know how God will actually speak through that. What's the other one? Encountering God. Give, give priority to times where we're going to come in God's presence, whether it's soaking prayer or worship. When you come into worship, you can sit there and go, ah, it's not very nice. Randy's voice is flat. John can't play the piano. Brad is noodling. I mean, what the heck? What, you know, there are a thousand reasons why we can't. I got me before I got you, so don't worry. Um, you know, there's, there's so many things. that so, so It really was a little flat for me today. It didn't do anything for me. And God's Spirit might appear to you and say, who the heck are you? It might appear in angelic form through me. Who are you? Am I worthy of worship or are you a critic? I mean, I could have you come up here and try and lead and then you'll be wishing that everybody was nice to you because you didn't do it as perfectly as you hoped. Or you can say, I'm going to actually be part of the worship of this church. What does that mean? That means... When I'm worshipping, I'm going to do this. And what happens? Other people go, and you go, I'm, I'm actually witnessing somebody offering themselves to Jesus. The music is terrible, but they still seem to doing this. Why? Because they're going to help change the atmosphere by their actions. Well, I'm tired. I was up late last night. And you go, excuse me, I thought this was about God. I thought a sacrifice of praise is about giving yourself to Him. You know how many times I've come in here on a Sunday morning, I don't feel like being here? don't feel like doing worship, don't know what the sermon's going to be, it might really bomb. And as you come and as you step in, it changes. It always does. I don't start with feeling, I start with He is worthy. Become a contribution and you're, that's what's ready to move. It's now. It's what I choose to do now. Not tomorrow, not the next day. That's, that's another time. It's now. I'm afraid. I've told you this before. When I first started worship and I was in front of people, I would go, oh, I'm embarrassed. And God said, so I stood across naked for you and you're embarrassed of that? You want to swap? Forgive me, Lord. I'm just proud, actually. I start doing this and something breaks in my spirit. And worship flows much more easily. Started afraid and proud. Everything is like that. Every single thing. Praying for people. Speaking in tongues. Speaking up front. This is speaking up front like I do now, the first four years was terrifying. So that's about 50, 60 sermons. You thank God. If you don't like it now, thank God you went with me 
30 years ago. All I'm saying is everything, everything, everything starts tripping and falling and going, oh my word, this is embarrassing. I don't want to do this. And God honors what you give him until eventually something begins to flow more naturally. So don't discount yourself. Don't say you don't have anything to offer. But also stop believing the excuses you give. Because if you're waiting for God to empower your work in your life, it's dependent on you moving and failing and picking yourself up and finishing. Here's a, a cool clip that I came across I wanted to just uh, share with you. It's about six minutes. It's Reinhard Bonnke. You've heard of him. And he's teaching people in, in, in I think it's Brazil. So there we are. Whoa. Isn't that cool? Kind of wipes the slate clean of excuses. Um, that the promise of God and his presence and everything about him is, is linked up to Jesus being with us. So when, as I'm, I'm just going to finish with this one thought, after the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place, if you actually stop just before that in Luke, he's, he's talked about the cost of following him and everybody puts, makes excuses saying, can I stay and bury my father? Can I do this? Can I do that? Because the time is never ready. It's, it's always something. And somewhere along the line, I have to say, Jesus, if it's your will, then I'll let go of everything else. And he will. He will test us. There are times where you say, I want to see what your allegiance to me is like. So I'm going to test you. I'm going to see whether you will lay down your family. You will lay down whatever it is for a season just to see what you say yes to. But think about this, that uh, he, sen he sends 72 out to, to the towns that he's going to, two by two. So mathematics, that's 36 cities or towns. And he sends two people into each one. That's a big vision. And they're not ready, but they're going to be present. And he only has to, they only have to see healing for one or two people to get a crowd. Don't underestimate what God can do. So, you want to be available and you want to be actually asking him to continue to teach you. The next weeks we're going to talk about his promise. We're going to talk about how he says, get, make sure you align with the word. You know, we can all read the scriptures every day. We can all say, give me an opportunity today to say something about you or speak about you. Give me an opportunity today to, to pray for somebody. And the easiest way to do all of this stuff is just tell somebody you're learning. I haven't done this very often, but I just sort of am challenged to go, I need to pray for you. So can I just pray? Jesus, in your name, I just bless this body. I speak healing to the sickness. That's all. The longer you go on, the more boring it gets. Just do it. See what happens. Lord, give me a conversation with somebody today about you. The more you ask him, the more your senses will be heightened to opportunities and something will change. And he'll be strengthening you inside. But if you like me, part of my journey is I pray for five people, nothing happens and I feel awful, and then I pray. In other words, finish. Let's stand. Let's ask him to raise up in us hope and expectancy so that we would be those who would also take the promised land and take responsibility for taking the promised land. And Jesus, I just want to break over us mindsets of negativity. 
I want to break over us mindsets that we are so used to that we just, we just automatically go into excuse or disclaimer. And we automatically go, but I can't. And Father, I just pre- speak death to those lies in the name of Jesus. That you look upon every single person here, every one of us, and you say to us again today, follow me. And you say to us today, I love you. I can actually use you, I can flow into you, and I can flow through you. And just let me tell you that I'm relying on me in you, not about you, not on you. Because for some of you, I'm going to actually use your weakness to bear witness to me. I'm going to actually use how you are when things are hard to bear witness to other people that I am still your God. So when you most mess up, in your opinion, others are going to be seeing me most glorified. So I'm just encouraging you to be you with me in you. You don't have to be a look-alike. You don't have to be like someone else. Just be you. Be authentically you. And my kingdom will be flowing through you. But it's not without a conscious decision on your part. It's not about you saying, here I am, Lord. So Father, we ask you today to fill us up afresh with a spirit of hope, a spirit of servanthood, a spirit of we have something to offer because Jesus lives in us. Speak to areas of disappointment. There's some of you who are standing here right now and you're thinking, I tried that and it just fell apart. Well, I'm standing here in front of you as somebody who could say the same thing. But God. But God. So Father, I pray where we have had dreams shattered, where we have had maybe opportunities shattered, ministry shattered, things that have just got broken and we've said, I'm not trying that again. Father, we just lay that before you and say, that was then, this is now. And Father, we ask you to release in us all that we need to be able to be your servants around community here and beyond this place. I pray for opportunities this week to pray for the sick. Pray for opportunities to have conversations. Pray for opportunities to maybe serve in a way where we just meet somebody's need by the way we respond to them. Pray for opportunities to have conversations with people. And don't have conversations with people in order to tell them about Jesus. Have conversations with people because you care about them and Jesus will be glorified. Don't get into this kind of uh, using people as bait or using people as targets. God will shine through you Maybe you'll have to wait for a conversation. But maybe God is saying more than you realize. For some people they'll say, oh I thought when I met with you you were going to beat me up with Christianity and you were just actually a friend. That spoke to me about Christianity. So Father, I just pray for a really, really deep sense of peace. I pray for hope to rise us up in us that we are all commissioned to take the promised land, to put one step in front of another, to be ready to move. And we pray for this church 
as we go through transition over these next six months for hope to rise up, Lord, confidence to rise up in your faithfulness. We pray for the people who are going to come and follow as pastors. We pray blessing over Dan as he settles in here and Candice, Lord. We pray for blessing over them as they settle in here. We pray, Father, for the person you have to come and help lead this congregation the next however long it takes. We just speak blessing over them even now. We pray for those who are going to be part of a transition team, that, Lord, they would have eyes to see and ears to hear and that there would be a joyful transition, full of expectation. We thank you that you have things for us that would cause us to be amazed. And we just say, Lord, here I am, use me. Let me be a contribution. I pray for people here to volunteer for Sunday school that we'd have more people than we need to help us send this school over the summer. Every one of these invitations is an opportunity to grow, to be stretched, to find out the faithfulness of Jesus. So we thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Receive the Holy Spirit. Just as I, we, we move into communion, bring to God uh, your weakness. Bring to God where you're afraid. Just lay it before him and say, Father, I don't want to make excuses anymore. I'm willing to be used even when I'm weak. I'm I'm willing to be used when I don't feel like it. I also believe the Lord wants to speak to some people about your fear of commitment. And just break the curse of that over us, Lord, where we don't want to be committed. And we just say, Father, thank you that you're committed to us that you've promised you'll never leave us or forsake us. And so we ask you to forgive us where we want to always guard our options. And Father, if commitment means commitment to you means that I need to be committed to serving in some way, then Lord, I want to learn how to do that so that I'll become one of the most reliable people in the church. When they say, so-and-so volunteered, we go, absolutely sure. They'll turn up, they'll do it, and they will do it well. I can boast about people like Wayne who never, ever misses a Thursday evening or Ev who's in the kitchen every single Thursday making a meal and when you go into that kitchen at 8 o'clock in the, in the evening on a Thursday it is absolutely spotless. Father, we bless you for people who serve. could name half of you and we just ask that you raise up amongst us a shared ownership of the vision of the promised land in this place at this time. And be encouraged that Jesus just says, I will be with you.